You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Special guest is writer, photographer, and New York Times bestselling author John Katz. We're excited to have John back on the show, and we'll be talking about his latest book, Dancing Dogs, and all the wonderful stories within the book. So we're excited about that and talk to John about the new book. So everybody hang tight. We're going to come right back after these commercial break. Uh, you're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Petco. Where the pets go. Petco. Where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and joining me now is best-selling author and friend of the show, John Katz. John, welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's always great to talk to you and always excited to learn about the latest writings. And uh, you've got a brand new book out called Dancing Dogs, chock full of stories. Tell us a little bit about the book. Dancing Dog is my first uh, short story collection, and it's got uh, 16 different stories in it. Most of them are about dogs, uh, and there are a couple of other animals also. One's about a barn cat, one's about a donkey. And it's an opportunity, I think, to look at our perspectives about animals, how we feel about them, the connection we have with them. And it's fiction. I cover a wide range of kinds of stories. There are young people, the York City story, a bunch of farm stories, stories about the recession, stories about really how much we love dogs and animals and how much they mean to us. It's very exciting for me to do it. Yeah, and it is a little bit of a departure from uh, some of the stuff that you, you put out recently. It's a complete departure. I mean, I've always written in kind of long-form narrative, you know, three, 400 pages, and um, it's exciting for me. I, I think the, the challenge of capturing a narrative in 15 pages as opposed to 300 pages is pretty wild. Um, you have to really compress the story. The story has to move quickly. You have to do character development very differently. But mostly it was a chance for me to do a lot of different diverse settings about the different ways in which animals and people interact, especially dogs. 
just how much they mean to people. Some of the stories are said in, um, among women working in these box store jobs who have animals and how much they mean to them and how much they fight to keep them. Some are set, a couple are set in shelters, and there's two or three farm stories that were a lot of fun for me to write. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit more about what the going-ons at the farm uh, as well a little bit later in the show. As far as the stories go, did you pull from your own experiences mostly, or did you pull from uh, people that you knew, or was it just uh, great thoughts that you had and thought it would be great bits to I, I like the I like the great thoughts I did. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a mix of things. You know, I, I started writing this book when the recession hit, and I was very struck by I would meet these people with very lousy-paying jobs, difficult jobs, no security. And they would really fight to get animals in their lives. One of the stories is set in a shelter where people started dumping animals when the recession hit. And they were just overwhelmed in this story of a young girl and how she tried to, to deal with the, the onslaught of animals people could no longer take care of. And I tried some perspective stories. Some of the stories have kind of surprise endings. This one story, Pearl and Joan, where about Pearl and Joan, a woman and a dog are together, and you can't tell until the very end who's the dog and who's the woman, <laughs> just to try to show how people are close. So you have to read the book carefully because some of the endings are a little bit of a surprise. So it came from all over the place. I think the recession inspired some of the ideas. My life on the farm, certainly with, with donkeys, dogs, and sheep, inspired quite a few of them. And just being around farms and seeing the different farm perspective on animals, that was another, another part of it, too. Exactly. I'm sure putting together a collection of stories like this, did you find it hard narrowing down the stories just to 16 stories, or uh, how did you go about that process? I did have, but my editor had no trouble in narrowing it down. <laughs> I, had, I had more. I had many more. And you know, it's funny, the, the cover of the book is kind of cute. There's a cute puppy on it and some and puppies, but the book itself is not as cute as the cover. So there's some sadness in it. It's a happy book. I think it's a celebration in large of, of, uh, of our life with animals. A couple of stories will make people cry. But it, I could have done a lot more. I mean, I, I had, and we felt that that was enough. That was enough of a number. We, we wanted it to be a short and comfortable read, and we wanted it to have um, uh, you know, a nice mix of things in it. Yeah, and I think you did a great job with that. And, uh, you know, the cover is compelling. Have you already, I know the book just came out, but uh, have you already gotten replies back from people uh, that were surprised by the content, assuming yeah. it was going to be more of a puppy book? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, in, in fairness to the people, you know, the cover is, is a nice cover. It's a beautiful German short hair pointer and some puppies around it. So I can see people are, you know, people generally expect dog books to be very happy. Mm-hmm. They don't want any kind of sadness. They don't want any kind of reality. And most of the big best-selling dog books are, you know, I would I would say some of them are sappy. Um, meeting the dog over the bridge, and they're very happy stories, and the stories of redemption. My stories, I mean, I think every single story in the book has a happy ending. I don't think there's one really sad ending, but I do want them to reflect the real life of real animals. And sometimes there is loss. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you're going to live with dogs, live with cats, at some point you're going to experience some loss. And I, I didn't want to screen that out of it. You know, I wanted the book to reflect real life. So by the context of, of most dog books, there's some sadness. By the context of other books, I think it's a really pretty chipper book. And I, I think it's, uh, it's in that world, there's an expectation of cute. You know, if you look at the best-selling dog books, they're all about how golden retrievers saved a rabbit, you know, and, all, and, and nothing wrong with that. But um, I wanted to go a little deeper with it because I, I think the emotional experience of having an animal is complicated. You know, it's sometimes hard to get them and hard to choose them. And so that we have to fight to get them. Some of the stories are involved women who were fighting to get a dog past their husbands. <laughs> um, you know, the husband's always saying, I don't need another dog. I don't want another dog. And generally often women are saying, you know, we need another dog. We want one. Yeah. And in your opinion, John, who wins that fight usually? I think the women win the fight. <laughs> <laughs> 
one woman told me, she said, well, you know, I got the dog because I figured, you know, it's not going to be a divorce issue. And even if it was a divorce issue, I'd still have the dog. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think they give us just enough leeway to think we're putting up a good fight, but the decision right, right, right. made a long yeah. time ago. <laughs> well, and, you know, one of my favorite stories is called the Yankee dog. And it's about a woman who came up with a scheme. She waited until the World Series. Her husband was a rabid Yankee fan. He was adamant about not getting a dog. She went and secretly got herself a rescue dog and put a Yankee hat and a Yankee scarf on it. And she waited until Mariano Rivera was pitching in the ninth inning. And then she slipped the dog into the room. And as, as Rivera struck out the opponent batter, the dog jumped up on the, on the sofa. And the man looked and said, what a great dog. So that's how she did it. There you go. A lot of scheming. Yeah, and I, I guess that would be a true sign of a relationship if you uh, dress the dog in Yankee gear and you're a Yankee fan, the dog's in. But if any Red Sox paraphernalia <laughs> pops up, there's trouble. <laughs> I know, I told the story in Boston on the book tour, and I was going to run out of the bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, we won't take that kind of language, young man. No, 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 we don't do that. <laughs> well, putting together the stories, looking back on it, was there one particular one that touched your heart or sort of uh, gave you a real aha? You learned a lot more from it than uh, than you expected when you first started putting it together? Do it Two stories that really struck home for me. One was the story of um, of the girl who's on a class trip to an animal shelter, and she hears sees a beagle, a dog in there, and she they just connected with each other as animals and people sometimes do. And her family was adamant about her not having a dog, and the dog was sick and was not up for adoption. So she wages this battle to get the dog and get the dog into her life and get the dog home, and it was um, and she succeeded in a long roundabout way. That was touching to me. And I, I, the other story was a story called Old Old Dogs, which is about an, an old widowed farmer and an old border collie and, um, and an old coyote. And the three of them interact with each other, come across each other one, one day on the edge of the farm. And it can, forces the farmer to really confront his life and some sadness in his life. And uh, that's a story that had some, some power for me. You know, I think that a lot of the themes of the stories are, are about what animals mean to us and why they're so important to us, and, and the different ways of looking at them. I had a story called Luther and Minnie in there, Go to Heaven, mm-hmm. about a woman, who, an older woman, who um, always wanted to meet her dog in heaven, and she does. And when she gets to heaven, she's surprised to see that heaven is where dogs can have sex and chew on disgusting things and eat, eat bulbs out of the garden and chew up furniture. <laughs> and she's sort of horrified to discover that this is a dog's idea of heaven, which is not a person's idea of heaven. You know, the definition of a bad dog is really a dog that acts like a dog. <laughs> and a good dog is a dog that acts like a human. And, uh, and I think that's the conflict that often dogs have to deal with is, you know, in order, in order to be in our lives and be accepted, they have to actually behave in a way that's not really natural to them. And that's what training is sort of about. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, and overcoming the situation where we assume as humans that they actually know right away what we expect of them. You know, just uh, here's your new house. Uh, you know what to do. <laughs> that's right. Right. And, and, and that's where training becomes so important because training is really about helping a dog uh, be safe in the world and understand our rules and live with us. And that's, that's what, what training does. And, um, and it's, that's why it's so important. And that's why dogs have so much trouble sometimes because people are so busy emotionalizing them. They don't understand that they're animals and it's very hard to communicate with them. Yeah, I think setting a good platform for training, make sure they understand what's going on and make sure that they understand what you're all about. I think it's key too to uh, having a happy dog in the household because they, they are part of the family. They're part of the family. And I, I happen to think, you know, dog training in America is generally a catastrophe that people spend a lot of money buying very expensive books about, about dogs. That, that from people who do things that most people can't do. And so people are always looking for gurus to kind of give them the answers. And the answer is, is really in, in the house. You know, we know our own animals well. 
we know them better than than uh, than than people far away do. And, and and most people give up on training, I think, because they think it's just too difficult. They can't figure it out. It's very very important. I mean, this is this is the the only way a dog can learn to live safely and happily among people is if they're if they're trained well. Yeah. Well, I think it's part of any great relationship, whether we're talking human to human or human to animal, is you know, saying the stage early, putting together the, the plan on how you want to best uh, help your animal understand how to have a great life with you and understand what's going on in your household and uh, following through with it. Don't just uh, come up with an expectation they know exactly what to do because they, they don't unless you show them the way. You're right. right. And, and, and several of the stories reflect that, that the you know, when I, there's one story called Lucky's Day about a dog, what, what a dog does all day when he's left alone. Many people are worried about, well, what happens? What does the dog do? So I wrote a story just imagining what a dog does. And, uh, you know, skipping for pizza crumbs, chasing the cat, talking to other dogs in the neighborhood. I had a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> exactly. Or the old cartoons of them uh, uh, playing poker around the table. Right, uh, right, right. <laughs> well, in this story, the dog actually, they trade stories about humans and how, how to deal with humans. And they, they gossip with each other about humans in the neighborhood, which was fun. <laughs> I don't even know what they want to say about me. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do the importance of training humans, how much how needy humans are. Oh, amen. I heard that. Oh, that's a good segue. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick uh, commercial break here. We'll come back with John Katz talking more about his latest book, Dancing Dogs. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection, exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. Plus free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Hi, I'm Lisa Smith-Putnam, the host of the new and exciting show, Your Pets, My Dogs, here on Pet Life Radio. Your Pets, My Dogs will feature celebrity interviews, we'll talk to everyday pet owners, and more. Listen, I am here to entertain you each and every week, right here on Pet Life Radio. Again, that's Your Pets, My Dogs. I'm your host, Lisa Smith-Putnam. Your Pets, My Dogs. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link. And we're talking to New York Times bestselling author John Katz about his latest book, Dancing Dogs. Now, John, when putting this book together, as we mentioned before, it's a little bit of uh, definitely a different departure from uh, most of the things you've done. What would you say would be the the thing you learned most about putting together the book and sitting down and writing it? I think with a short story, you have to organize yourself in a very focused and disciplined way. 
writing a short story, of course, is very compressed. You have to do something in 15 pages that you normally would do in three or 400 pages. So everything about writing is different. The narrative length is different. Character development is different. You have to focus the point of the story very, very sharply. The plot has to move in a very rapidly and compressed way. And uh, short story books are generally kind of gloomy, I found. You know, uh, they're, they're seen as literary. They don't tend to sell very well. And so I thought it was an opportunity to really write stories for adults about animals. I think there are very few good books for adults about animals, very few good adult animal stories. I was very influenced by Jack London. I love The Call mm. of the Wild. Yeah. The dog books used to be about the real life of dogs. They weren't just about the cute life of dogs. And, and I noticed uh, even the reaction to the book, which has been very favorable, very lovely. Some people are just outraged that, that everything isn't happy every second. And uh, that's just not my area. You know, I don't want to be gloomy, but I also, you know, it just comes with the territory. I think people have very tough expectations about animals in America. They want them to live, you know, perfect, no-kill, absolutely joyous lives. And you can't do that. We're not God. Uh, we can't give animals a life free of, of trouble any more than we can do that for ourselves. So, so, so a lot of the stories about how people deal with trouble when it happens. You know, I think you did a great job in being honest with the stories. Um, you know, because you're right. I mean, when an animal's in our life, an animal makes its transition. Yes, we want it through the grieving process. You and I have talked about this in the past. There's various stages of the grieving process, and we want to get to a point where we're thinking only the happy thoughts, only the good things that happen to that dog in their life. But if you really did a real true snapshot of the animal's whole life, there are some challenges. Challenges you had with them. They weren't always happy. There's always uh, behavior issues. Behavior issues with the human, whatever it may be, and uh, you have to do a real good snapshot of the whole life, not just uh, the moments that were the best. You know, I, I think the uh, my idea of writing is to write about the real world of real animals, and um, I think so many people are unprepared for that, and that I think is a major reason why so many dogs get returned to shelters and abandoned. People just don't know how to deal with trouble, with behavioral problems or mm-hmm. aggression or training when it becomes difficult. You know, they see the movie, they just expect it to be cute and lovely. And it often is that, you know, it often is that, but it is almost never only that. And, and everybody I know who has a dog, it's, you know, I just talked to someone this morning, a woman who said she loved her dog so much that when it died, she decided she would never get another one. And it really puzzled me. I hear that all the time from people saying, well, I got a dog, I couldn't go through that again. And I always sort of say to them, well, what did you think would happen? You know, when you get a dog, didn't you know that the dog is not going to live to be 100 years old? I mean, they are going, they're going to die. Right. And lots of things can get them, and uh, having a dog means um, moving from one experience to another. And I don't mean that in a flip way. It's very painful to lose. I lost two dogs this year. It was very sad for me. Mm-hmm. But I replaced both of them, and I have two additional great dogs. Um, and that's to me, is the meaning of having a dog. But I think people are losing that. The expectations around getting a dog and living with a dog are, are so over the top now that I think it's very hard for dogs to live up with it. And people just don't want to do the work of, of checking an animal out and learning about the breeds and learning about behaviors and being prepared for training. And, of course, dogs pay the price for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, it's you have to do your research. Granted, we know animals show up in our life at, usually at the most unexpected times. Um, but still, you have to be prepared that, is this animal going to fit in my lifestyle? Can I put the quality time in to do the dog or whatever animal it is, uh, the justice that it needs? And, uh, you know, I do a lot of work with rescue organizations, attend their events, and give back to them where I can. And, you know, even you hit it right on the head a little bit earlier in the fact that still today, the number one reason animals get turned into shelters is because there's a behavioral problem. 
And it's not the dog's fault or the cat's fault. It's usually something that we haven't done or we haven't followed through with. And, and this is funny. You mentioned doing the rescue work, and this is something that shows up in the theme of the book, too. You know, I think we have to be thoughtful about the whole rescue experience. I have at the moment a rescue donkey and two rescue dogs and rescue chickens and rescue cats. But I worry that it's becoming the only prism through which people are seeing animals. That people tell me all the time the only way to get a dog is to rescue a dog. There's no other appropriate way to do it. And I think that's a problem for several reasons. A rescue dog is not the best dog for every person. Neither is a purebred dog. I think you need to get the dog that really works for you, not simply a dog that makes you feel good morally. And beyond that, I think people need to understand when they get a dog and they don't know where it comes from, it is often going to be a challenge in terms of training. It doesn't mean you can't do it, but dogs rarely come in a perfect package, especially when you don't know where they come from and you don't know what they've been through. So people are shocked that the dog will go to the bathroom or the dog will chew things or the dog will bark or the dog will jump up and down a lot and then they get rid of it. And the dog often pays for that with their life. So in my experience, I don't want rescue to be the only prism through which I see an animal. I don't refer to my rescued animals as rescued. They don't care. They don't need to know that. Exactly. And, and I think it's emotionally something one needs, needs to be thoughtful about because most people, many, many people, I should say, are often telling me, well, I, you know, the only way to get a dog is to rescue it. And I think that's just not true. I think you, the only way to get a dog is to get the right dog for you, whether it's a rescue dog or a purebred or whatever, as long as it works for you and it works for the dog. Yeah, and you're willing to put in the time it takes to, to make sure the yeah. dog understands how to live in your life. And a lot of these issues came up in the short stories, which was really fun for me to write about. And I, I appreciated that. Yeah. For all of our listeners who are going to be reading the book, what would you say would be the one takeaway you'd want them to take away from after reading the book? Uh, one thing to take away our great love for dogs and how bravely and, and lovingly people struggle to get them and also that they have an enormous impact on our emotional lives, for better or worse. And um, and thinking about them is important, and you know, giving them the benefit of being thoughtful about getting them and living with them. And I think that's probably the... The book is not really a series of moral lessons. It's mostly anecdotal. But I think if there is a message, it's how much they mean to us and um, how valuable they are in our lives. Absolutely. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about your uh, photography and what's going on there. Yeah, tell us a little bit about some of the latest and some of the compilations and some of the projects you've been working on. Well, I, we're moving to a farm right nearby, so we're going to take the animals with us. And um, I have right now three dogs. I have Lenore the Lab. I have Red, a new dog, Border Collie from Ireland. who's a great working dog. And Frida, um, the subject of my next book, who's a Rottweiler Shepherd mix who uh, ran wild in the Adirondacks before she was caught by the ASPCA. And that's exciting. And I'm, and I'm place we're moving to is coming with a blind 34-year-old Appaloosa pony. That's pretty exciting. Wow. And he's been there for 15 years alone in a farm pasture. And so uh, that's exciting, getting to know him and trying to imagine how he's going to mesh with the others. So it's a lot of exciting things going on in my life. Uh, the photography has become a huge part of my life. And... Um, I did my first ebook original this summer, The Story of Rose, which sold for $2.99 in the new world. <laughs> but that was exciting. It had eight videos and 100 photographs in it. And um, that was a nice experience. I think I want to do some more of those. So I'm very busy, very happy. We're, we're moving to a new place in the next few weeks. And, um, you know, I have lucky to live with these wonderful animals. I could, I could write a dozen more books. I hope I do. Yeah, absolutely. We look forward to that for sure. Now, is this going to be uh, Bedlam Farms Pardue, or is this going to be have a new... Uh, going to We're going to call it the New Bedlam Farm. I don't want to give new up Bedlam. the name because it's the Bedlam Farm Journal, and a lot of the books are based on that. 
Right. And it's a calmer place than the other one, but uh, it's nice. It's a 1840 farmhouse, 17 acres, some beautiful pastures, and um, you know it's nice. It's nice. It'll be exciting uh, to work on a house and and um, and live there with my my wife Maria. I got married a few years ago, and that's exciting. Yeah. So it's a good time. It's a good creative time. Publishing is changing a lot, and I'm changing with it. And uh, that's a creative challenge. I mean, just things are very different. It is. It is. You know, it, and you've been doing this for quite some time, which uh, big kudos to you. And uh, I you. like, you know, I like the way that you've adapted well to it. I heard the little chuckle when you put together the uh, the e original. It's like you're. <laughs> it sounds like you're quite amazed at how things are changing. Well, I like it. You know, I have the I have a blog, which is bedlamfarm dot com. It's become a big part of my writing life. Um, I do videos which I wasn't doing before. I do photography. I think it's very important for writers to add a very visual element to their work. So it's one thing, you know, when you write something, it's another thing to take a picture of it. So I'm moving on all these different fronts, I think, to uh, go where my readers are going. And I think, you know, bookstores are struggling, but publishing is doing well. More people are, are reading more books in more forms than ever before. And that's, that's not bad for writers, really. No, and I think it is a good good thing because you know we all hear that some people learn more and get more out of a subject when they uh, see the visualization behind it, and others are more uh, text driven. And uh, you know, with with writing the way publishing is today, you can sort of combine both and get uh, the best of both worlds and expand your database. Yeah, yeah I think, and, I, and, I, and you're more in touch with your readers too. I mean, people have a Facebook page, and people can comment on what, and the minute they read it. I hear about them, and that's new. That didn't used to happen before, but it's also exciting. Yeah. So I think it, I think it's a very creative time, and I, I love the short story format. I, I hope I can return to it. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to seeing more stories, uh, short stories and long stories, and seeing the photography. So it's great time for John Katz, great time for all of our uh, of your fans as well. So we appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. All right. Well, everybody, make sure you pick up a copy of the book. It's called Dancing Dogs, uh, Stories, short stories by John Katz. And uh, take a look at everything else. Go to Bedlam Farms and take a look at him on Facebook. A lot of activity going on. You definitely want to keep up with John. He's got his roller skates on. He's moving fast. So keep it, keep it going. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, you're welcome, John. Thanks for uh, appearing on the show. We appreciate it. Take care. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'd like to also thank our sponsors and producers for making the show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show and uh, the stories in my blog and to keep up with all that's going on, make sure you go to PetLifeRadio.com. It's PetLifeRadio.com. Click on the Animal Rights icon. Download uh, all the wonderful interviews we've done and the blogs and all the information there. And uh, while you're at it, make sure you check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows on PetLifeRadio. It's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, contact me. You can email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. It's Tim at PetLifeRadio.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions and entertain your comments and try to bring on the uh, people you want to hear most onto the show. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.